0: We spent some time recently talking about uh, the destruction to our way of life that COVID has brought. And, and the fact that even though in many ways we stand in the rubble, in the ruins of what was once normal for us, uh, there's a strong sense of hope in that. Because when God clears away the landscape for us, then we have the opportunity to see what new thing he will do in the day that's coming. And so we're in that place of hopefulness, knowing that God will act. And as we've talked about what it's going to mean to emerge from this, to rebuild, uh, one of the things we've talked about was making sure the most important things get put back first. And it invites us to make sure we understand what the most important things are. And after several weeks of praying and talking together, I really feel firmly convinced that the most important need we have, the most important thing we have to address is to rebuild the foundation of prayer in our congregation. That we really must get this piece right if we're going to know the future God has for us, if we're going to be His agents and His ministers in the world. Unless we have a vital link to the Father, to the Son, to the Holy Spirit through prayer, we'll just build back what we think makes sense rather than listening to what they have to say. And so I want to talk for the next several weeks about prayer. I'm calling this a school of prayer um, because I'm being schooled as much as anyone as we go through this. And I would start by observing uh, that there is a natural law at play here, and that is the law of entropy. The law of entropy essentially means, one definition is that things become more disorganized or break down as time continues. So unless we give attention to them, um, to systems, processes, they eventually break down. And and in many ways, our Christian experience, our spiritual formation lives under the rule of entropy. Um, Jesus prays specifically about this. He says unless you stay connected to the vine, you perish, right? So it's it's the continual contact with Christ, having the 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 word of Christ and this presence of the Spirit dwelling in you that keeps you alive and moving forward. And unless we nourish that through prayer, entropy takes over. So there's a great need for prayer. I'd like to make one commitment to you, and I'm I'm thinking deeply about this commitment as I start, and I hope that I'm able to pull this off without resorting to it, because this I know about prayer. The minute you start talking about prayer to a group of Christians, 86% of them immediately feel guilty and say, I know I should be praying more, and I'm not and my excuses are bad, but I don't. And and my commitment is I'm going to do my dead level best to never use guilt as a motivator to talk about prayer with you. Because prayer is an opportunity given to us by Christ for our enrichment. So I want to talk about these opportunities for prayer as an enticement, as something that that we move forward to with positivity and, and, and just great, great anticipation of what God will do because the deceiver is the one who motivates by shame, right? And and we don't need his assistance in this area at all. He would keep us prayerless, but we have the invitation of the father to enter into this special relationship with him. And so that's what we want to do. That's, that's what I'm after in these series. Uh, There's there's a book written by E.D. Freeborn and Morris Weigel that really talks about um, what we can learn from the Lord's Prayer. And one of their basic contentions at the beginning of this book is that we can know what we basically believe about God and our Christian life based on the way we pray. The way we actually do pray reveals to us what our basic beliefs in this arena are. For example, if we beg for God to intervene and help us, but never expect anything to change as the result of our prayers, we're saying something about what we believe, right? We don't really think God will answer our prayers. If if we only pray for holy stuff and never get really specific about our lives. If our prayers are always lofty and esoteric, but we never get down to our own personal behavior or our own needs, then then that begins to reveal what our real expectations are in terms of praying and what God will do. If, If we pray specifically, but then track God's answers so that we can determine whether we got what we prayed for, that tells us a lot about what we believe about prayer. It tells us what we believe about God and what we think God's responsibilities are to us. All of those things are woven in this this need to scientifically verify that prayer works, whatever that means. Or if we hold seminars or, or prayer meetings and we get to those seminars and prayer meetings and we talk about God and we read Scripture and we sing, but we never pray... That tells us something about what we think about God. That, yeah, it's better to talk about him than to him. I'm not sure that's helpful. And I think these, these misconceptions have created some broad misunderstandings for us when it comes to praying. I mean, one of them is prayer's not particularly useful unless we can prove it works. And I hear, I hear folks talk about this on both sides of that uh, statement. Some who don't think it works, so they don't pray. And some people who believe it works, and so they pray to get what they want. And I'm not completely sure any of us ever really can know, from a scientific perspective, whether prayer works, because I don't know that we know what the word works means, because in our minds, too often works just means, did I get what I wanted? And if God answer, answers our prayers in ways that are not consistent with what we wanted, are not consistent with what we thought best, we're likely to say, well, that prayer didn't work. When the opposite may be true. It may have worked very well, and God may have given us exactly what we needed. It's just we didn't know it. And so... I think we have to be always very careful about evaluating prayer based on what we think works or whether we got or whether the people we prayed for got what they wanted. Part of this prayer working question is, how much time do we give God to answer prayers? I mean, did our prayer work if we get an answer to our prayer in 30 days or six months or or how how long are we willing to linger in prayer to find out whether this prayer worked or not this this idea that prayer works is irrefutable but our ability to evaluate exactly how and when and where that's really questionable and if our basis for praying is based on our observation of when prayer is working, then we're in trouble because there's lots of other excellent foundations and reasons for praying beyond just what we think works. Some folks believe, this is a misunderstanding, that the purpose of prayer is for us to get a hold of God and bend the will of God to our will. Well, you can see why I'm going to have trouble with that perspective I mean, I, I understand that I want to connect with God, but if my thought is that I want to bend the will of the one who knows all, who is everywhere, who sees everything, who is all powerful and all wise to my limited human and foolish understanding of what's happening in the world, that doesn't make a lot of sense. And it does reveal how little I know about God and who he is. Uh, it. It's not about us trying to bend the will of God to get what we want. I mean, when we consider his character as revealed to us in Scripture, when we understand that God is holy love, that he is for us, that he's trying to bring about the best future for us and to use us for the, the spreading of his loving kingdom, it doesn't make any sense to want our will over his will. But we get that to that place sometimes. Some folks think that the purpose of prayer is just to enjoy the experience of praying they, they like the social aspect of it it feels good, it has an emotional release for them and so prayer is just about pursuing an emotion and i 'm not saying that prayer should be something that's you know a drudgery boring thing i 'm not saying that at all, but i 'm saying if you're if your purpose in praying is just so you can feel good that's less than what we're called to and we are not so mystical that we believe, like some of the ancient mystics, that praying is just about losing yourself in the unknown ground of being up there and, and being united with the infinite in some ethereal, esoteric kind of New Age thought. That's not Christian praying. Prayer isn't just either the opportunity for God to get a hold of us. You know, some of us have have come to the place where we think that, well, God doesn't really change the world around us. God doesn't influence other people. What prayer really is, is just my connection to God and how he changes me and helps me deal with the world around us. But the reality is scripture describes a different God than that, a God who is active in the world who is at work in us, but also in others, and invites us to participate in the coming of his kingdom, God really wants to make a difference. And for some of us, if we're not sure that we believe that God wants to make those kind of differences, we just use that as an excuse to not pray as much. But God is involved. And we have to ask ourselves, do we really want God in Involved. Another misunderstanding of prayer. I've heard this said from time to time that that God won't answer any prayer of the sinners except for the prayer of salvation. So it's 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 God in a box to only do certain things because we think that's how things work. But but that's really again outside the character. Of God, Because what we believe is that by his prevenient grace, God is continually reaching out to everyone. He wants everyone in his family. And so any prayer that is honestly given, honestly meant to God, God will hear. And even if it's the process that leads to a sinner's conversion, even if it's 15 prayers before we get to that, God wants to be in communication with us. He invites us to pray. Now, for the folks who affirm that kind of belief, I would affirm that God doesn't answer the prayer of sinners when their prayer is to invite God's help to do evil. I mean, he's not going to answer those kinds of prayers, but he hears all earnest prayers that are given to him. Some folks think that we just shouldn't offer too many petitions because we're just selfish and we ask too much. But that's that's a little inconsistent with the invitation of God that we rely on him. And it's okay to ask because we've been invited to ask and to reveal our hearts to him. So there's some misunderstandings, misapprehensions, some some things that make understanding prayer very difficult for us. But I think to set the record straight, we ought to look at the life of Jesus and to see what he advocates and what he teaches and what his basic beliefs are based on how he prayed. When we look at the life of Jesus, some things become, I think, pretty clear. If you take the story of the Pharisee and the publican, Jesus talks about the comparison between two people who come to the temple to pray. The Pharisee who says, Lord, I'm so glad I'm not like the other scoundrels that are around here. And he comes in with a high opinion of himself. And then the publican at the back with his hand on his chest says, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And the story concludes with Jesus saying, you know, which one do you think leaves righteous? And it's it's the humble sinner. Humility matters to Jesus. Humility matters to Jesus. When we come to God in prayer, we come humbly understanding the relationship we have with him and understanding who he is and who we are by comparison. Or at least as much of the comparison as we can understand. Humility matters. It seems from the teachings of Jesus that persistence matters. He tells us not to give up praying. He gives us the examples of the widow knocking on the door or or the person who has a visitor come at night and say, don't give up. And in fact, the New Testament specifically interprets those parables to say, keep on praying. Now, there may be a difference between persistence in prayer that reveals a lack of faith and persistence in prayer that just is determined to rely on God. But those are nuances we can work out in prayer, right? Because we're called to persistence in praying. Matthew 7 teaches us to expect in prayer that when we, go, we go to God in prayer, we shouldn't be double-minded, not believing that he won't answer our prayer, but we should expect him to answer, to believe that when he calls us to pray, when he invites us to rely on him, it is his intention to do something about that. And so we go into prayer with expectancy, trusting that God will hear and answer our prayers. From the life of Jesus, we learn that regular prayer is important. It's not like throwing up a Hail Mary every once a month or something. Not that those prayers go unheard, but that the model for prayer for us is regular prayer. Jesus is continually leaving his disciples and going to the wilderness. He's going up to the mountain to pray. He's looking for a solitary spot to talk to his Father. And the whole life of Jesus is peppered with his praying. And that's an example to us. We pray regularly. Jesus' values and prayers are humility, persistence, expectance, and regular prayers. But we can learn even more about what Jesus believes based on the model prayer. I mean, if you look at Matthew 6 9, um, the disciples are being taught by Jesus how they ought to pray. And whatever you think about prayer, it makes a whole lot of sense to listen to the master when he says, this is how you should pray, right? At some level, that's the final word on prayer, right? It ought to be. And from the things he tells us to pray, we get an excellent idea of what Jesus believes. And I'd like to start with that prayer um, and take a few moments to consider what we learn from the ways Jesus tells us to pray. The prayer starts, as you know, with our Father. And our Father essentially reveals to us that Jesus looks at God as his Father, as a loving God, that there's a loving connection between us and the one to whom we pray. And and that's important, that we can address God as Father. The next part of the prayer is, uh, let your name be hallowed through us. Hallowed be your name. This. This God, this loving God of ours, wants to be revealed in the world through us. He wants our lives to bring the holiness of God and his name to those who are around us. It's, it's, it's revealing the work of God to the world. May your name be made holy through me. Do you see how that's a relational prayer? It's use me to hallow your name. The second thing, the the third thing, the third piece of the prayer is um, may your kingdom come. In the bringing of his kingdom, what we're really seeing is that not only does God want to be revealed in the world, but the transforming nature of his kingdom needs to be unleashed in the world. He didn't just come he didn't just use us to promote his reputation in the world. It's not about his ego. It's about the unleashing of the transformational power of the kingdom in the world because he has a goal, which is the redemption of creation, of seeing that no one need perish, that we can come to life in Christ. And so when when he begins prayer, his prayer, his first words are after revealing that there's a loving father, is that there's a mission for us to do and that we're to make his name known, his holy name known in the world, that that mission, the coming of his kingdom can advance in here. That should instruct our praying. And it should remind us that if we're taught to pray that the transforming kingdom comes, then we should know that things can change, right? God will answer our prayers and things can change. Jesus believed things could change. Thanks be to God. He then continues to pray and asked us to pray that God's will would actually happen. And what is his will? That his name be revered and that the kingdom spread through the creation, that things be redeemed by the power of God. That's what God's will is for us. But after he prays these grand, lofty, big-picture themes, it gets very specific, doesn't he say? It's like, what are we going to eat today? I mean, that's a whole other side of the coin. And he doesn't shy away from it for a moment. He goes from having the kingdom advance in the world to what's on for lunch, and to rest in the fact that God really will supply the specific things that we need. This is what Jesus believed that he would supply what we need, and we can trust him for that. He jumps from our specific needs to this relational issue of forgiveness. Forgive my trespasses. I'll forgive those who trespass against me. Uh, Forgiveness is a continual theme, and it means forgiveness is available for us. That's good news for our praying. And we're expected to forgive others that there's a link between the forgiveness we receive and the way we forgive others. Jesus then addresses the issue of temptation. Don't lead me to temptation, Lord, we're told to pray. And I'm confident that when Jesus teaches his disciples to pray this, he's telling us that there are resources available to Christians who want to escape temptations in Christ that the resources for victorious living are in Christ. And if we will ask, he will assist us. And so we are instructed to pray for deliverance. And he goes from temptation directly to the place of saying, resist evil. You know, there is evil in the world. If you're one of these folks who's not quite sure whether there's real evil in the world or it's just the bent of humanity, I don't know about all that, but this I know. Jesus believed there was evil in the world, that we needed to resist it, and we needed to stand against it, and that we don't have the power to do it ourselves, so we have to ask the Father and appropriate His power to say no to evil. That's the job of the church, to say no to evil. The prayer comes to its pinnacle, I think, in the statement saying, Yours is the kingdom. All of its all of it's yours, Jesus. All that we are, all that we have, all of our future, all of our hopes, all of it is yours. You are God, we are not. And so all of our praying gets added together in this doxology that says it's all yours. It all finds its meaning in you. In you we live and breathe and move and have our being. It is in you. That's that's what Jesus believed. And that's how he taught us to pray. I, I am always caught by those who say, you know, you shouldn't ask for too much for yourself because that's just selfish praying. Because the reality of prayer is really the heart of it is the petitions. The, the Lord's prayer is just petition, 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 petition. And the reason the heart of prayer is petition is that if we're really honest with ourselves, we're just a helpless bunch of folks. I mean, we really are helpless. We are desperately in need of God if anything is going to change in our lives. We are weak in the face of temptation. We have a deep desire for communion, but we have trouble getting along with folks. We have a longing to love others the way they need to be loved, but so often we find ourselves unable to do it. Can't really get along with our neighbors, can't really get along with the folks over at that church. We'll we'll go over this church, maybe we'll find some folks that are easier to get along with over there. Never understanding for a moment That what the Spirit wants to do for us is to give us the ability to love others. And if we're going to ever have the ability to love cantankerous, difficult folks, folks who are probably like us, then the Holy Spirit will have to enable us to do that. And the Holy Spirit will only enable us to do that as we ask Him to enable us to do that. As we continually, step by step, submit the things that irritate us to Him. Submit the things that we don't like to Him. Because that's part of the transforming work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And if you sense an irritation and a frustration so strong with others that you can't manage it, that should be an invitation to prayer for you. That the Holy Spirit, the resources in Christ for you to defeat that temptation, are available and will be appropriated to your life. Because we're helpless in the face of some of that stuff. We are weak. We have have a need to develop patience. We have a need to break out of our self-centered agendas to see to the needs of others, to attend to them. And unfortunately, this is what happens when we are confronted with these commands of Jesus that seem impossible for us. You know, if someone strikes you on one face, turn the other cheek to him. I mean, when we're confronted with these seemingly impossible commands of Jesus, or when we're confronted with these, these imperative to love others, and we don't see how it's humanly possible to do any of these things, we accommodate. We say things like, well... I'm sure God didn't really mean that, or, or it, it, it's, it's not really practical, or he really couldn't have that expectation of us, and we accommodate. And when we accommodate, we stop seeking the Lord's help to fulfill his will for us, and we stop praying for his help to do the things that he calls us to do. And that leaves us festering and stagnant, and going nowhere. And so, if we are going to fulfill the royal law of love, if we're going to grow as Christ followers, we will have to recognize our helplessness to be all that Christ calls us to be. And we will have to be petitioning heaven to help us. Otherwise, we'll just accommodate. And then we're putting ourselves in the position of the blind, leading the blind, going nowhere. How will God ever fulfill his will for the earth in bringing his kingdom? If we stop praying and just accommodate the fact that we can't do the things he calls us to do. That, that's the definition of a weak church. No longer believing that God can do the very things he calls us to do. And so we just give up and say, oh, this is too hard. Can't do this. We know better than that. We know the character of our God. We know the power of our God. We know we have an invitation to pray. So we have to take him up on the invitation. Succinctly stated, prayer is our connection to a living God, who is active and involved in this world. He is active around us, and he is active in us. He knows us, he knows our circumstances, and because he knows us so well, this should remove all pride in praying, right? We don't come into his presence with anything of value of our own. We come in poverty. We come in helplessness. We come in humility because we know who we are, and we know he knows who we are, and there's no fudging with him. We know that we have an invitation into his presence. The Hebrews author reminds us that that we can come with confidence into the throne room of God. I read this week uh, a sermon by Charles Spurgeon, and, and his whole text was just these few words the throne of God, and he just reminded me again and again that though we have an invitation to go bold into the throne room of God, we can never forget that what we're approaching is still a throne, right? It's still the King of kings and the Lord of lords. It's still the creator of the universe that we're approaching and that we probably are crawling in as tiny little ants. The thought of demanding from God, ridiculous, It proves we don't know him and we don't know ourselves. But that doesn't mean we don't go. (laughs) Because he's not one who arbitrarily exercises his power. He's not a fickle God. He's one who loves us, who calls us to enter. And so we enter his presence knowing that in prayer we can speak to and with him and that he will listen to us. He knows everything that can and might happen. He wants to in, involve us in the work of the kingdom. His will will not ultimately be thwarted on earth. He knows what's inside of us. Sometimes he answers our prayers even before we ask them. I know you've had that experience. You just started to worry about something. and You think I need to pray about that and the answer's already there. Because he knows and he loves, and his character is is continually revealing that he is for us. But he does choose how and when to answer. He does hate everything that destroys his creation. He doesn't create evil, and he stands against it with us. And so we approach him with awe, we approach him with confidence, and we rest on his love. And mercy. Let's face it. We won't pray if we don't believe that God will listen. If we don't believe that our prayers will make a difference. If we don't believe we need any transformation. If we don't think we need any assistance. And I'm confident we won't pray if we don't read our Bible. Because Bible reading always leads us to pray. It always leads us to communication with the one who speaks to us through it. We also won't pray if there are things in our life that we know are wrong and we'd rather not endure the convicting presence of the Holy Spirit, right? If you've decided that, well, this is who I am and you're just stuck with it and that's your approach to other people who want to offer advice to you. Well, you know, this is who I am, you have to deal with it. If if, if that's our attitude towards God, then we won't pray because when we pray and invite the Holy Spirit to speak to us, he will. And if there are things that need changing, he will point them out. Because that's what, that's what you expect the doctor to do when you go in there, right? You know, you have a cyst on your knee. You really should have it removed or it's going to get worse. You know, or you have, why would we go to the father and ask for his transforming grace if we really didn't expect that he would reveal to us what needs transformed? And if we don't want the transforming grace of God, then we won't. We won't. I'm convinced there are three things that we need. We need to rebuild our belief about prayer and God. We need to understand why prayer is as foundational as it is so that we will do it. The second thing we need to do is to rebuild our routine, rebuild our prayer routines. And the third thing we need to do, based on the rebuilding of our personal prayer routines, is rebuilding our corporate structures for prayer. The, those things have to happen for us. I put in the lobby a small, a small little booklet. It looks like this. It's called The School of Prayer, Morning and Evening Prayers. And what I what I want to say first is this. Many of you have already Uh, developed excellent patterns of personal prayer. And for, for all of you for whom that's true, what I want you to be able to do with this is to completely ignore it, okay? I don't have any intention to try to create prayer clones or make you do things in any one particular way, okay? So if you already have establish good, rich, productive prayer patterns in your life, please keep doing those things. However, if you're struggling to build your own prayer routine, I offer this little folder which offers a morning and evening prayer form for seven days. There's some additional psalms and things in here that are supplementary to it. And what I would invite you to do is if you're struggling with your own personal prayer routine, use this every day for the next three weeks till Lent starts. Morning and evening, pray and pray. The prayers are not particularly long. It won't take a lot of time. There are some fill-in-the-blank places in here, so it may be that they tend to be a little longer than they look on the page. But we must start somewhere. And this is this is just a starting place uh, that can happen. I don't, I don't know how I can say strongly enough or loudly enough that we have a staggering need for God's help in our day. We need it as individuals, we need it as families, we need it as communities, we need it as a nation, we need it as a world. And if we're going to be a part of God's mission in the world, if we can, with any integrity at all, pray the Lord's Prayer every week as we do, then we have to be serious about that phrase that says... Let your kingdom come through me, through us. That's what the grammar of that phrase really is. It's not just your kingdom come. It's, Lord, let your kingdom come through me, please. That's the prayer. If we're going to be serious about that at all, then we will have to be men and women, people of prayer, so that God can transform and use us as his instruments in the world. And and I really think that humility and helplessness, acknowledging those before God is the first step into the throne room for us. Here's Here's how I'd like to close the service today. In a moment, we're going to sing a hymn together. It is a prayer. And I would invite you to pray that with me. And then once we've done that, Before the benediction, I would like to invite you to offer aloud a one sentence prayer to God. Inviting his help to help us to learn to pray. And I'm going to ask, once it's done, I'll I'll give you the time to do it, that you just state that right out loud. You don't have to take turns. You can take turns. I don't know how it's going to happen. It'll probably be a little chaotic. Not worried about the chaos. I'm worried about us not stating our intentions and just walking away from a presentation like this. And so I'd like you to invoke the presence of God. We know that God's everywhere present, but it's always polite to state our intentions, to invite him into the conversation so that he knows we want him involved in this. And so at some level, we're having an invocation at the end of the service saying, Lord, come and help me. You can customize that any way you want, but we'll do that after we sing and we'll pause to give time for that. And I'll tell you when, okay? Would you stand with me? We're going to sing a closing hymn together. living breath of God breathe new life
1: into my wings Your purity, Holy Spirit, please new life in me. Holy Spirit, come abide within. May your joy be seen in all I do. Love enough to cover every sin and deed and attitude, kindness to the greatest and the least, gentleness that sows the path of peace, turn my strivings into works of grace, breath of God, show Christ Holy Spirit from creation's birth Giving life to all that God has made Show your power once again on earth Cause your church to hunger for your way
0: been hungry or not I don't know but the line in that song that captures my heart is cause your church to hunger for your ways that we would be consumed with a passion for his ways on earth and like a hunger we would be drawn to prayer, to this vital connection with him that can transform everything. Let's take a moment now to speak out our prayer to the Lord that he would help us in this way. Lord Jesus, you always hear our prayers. And we ask for your Spirit's help to rebuild the foundation of prayer in this place, personally and corporately, that your kingdom would come, that your will would be done on the earth, in our community, in our homes, in our families, in our lives as it is in heaven. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift the light of his countenance towards you and grant you his peace, amen.